Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Great to have you with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. Grab a stool. We are ready to go. Jim, let's jump in to our good martini. And while it's not official yet... These comments are about as official and obvious as you can get without uh, issuing the formal statement or having the formal rally. Uh, Sure sounds like West Virginia Republican Governor Jim Justice is going to run for Senate. This is from WTRF Channel 7 News. I've given a lot of thought and uh, and and I'm still very, very, very seriously considering it. In fact, uh, you know, I'm probably leaning that way and uh, You'll hear an announcement real soon. I'm not one to tease people and mess around with it. I just don't do that. You know, at the end of the day, once I really know what I'm going to do, we'll make the announcement. So, Jim, uh, I'm sure this will impact the calculus of Joe Manchin for 2024 in in some way, assuming this actually happens. I mean, Justice was originally elected governor in 2016 as a Democrat, switched over to being a Republican pretty early on in the Trump administration. I remember Trump being on hand for that uh, uh, formality at a rally there. And I don't know, does Manchin go for his old job as governor? Does he uh, head off into the lobbying sunset? Does he stick around to fight it out? Uh, What do you make of Justice making it pretty obvious that he's in and, uh, and the impact that it has on the race? Greg, I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned it, but the idea of them effectively swapping jobs might be you know, a scenario that Republicans would generally be pretty pleased with. Manchin would probably be no, uh, no slouch in terms of being a gubernatorial nominee. Um, he's still pretty popular in the state, and I think Republicans who'd love to see a Republican majority in the Senate would be like, okay, I'll take that trade. Um, as you mentioned, the, the irony is that these guys are both fairly populist. The ideological difference between the two is probably significantly less than your average, uh, than your average, you know, competitive Senate race. I, I look at this and I see Jim Justice as saying, you sure you want to run for re-election, Joe Manchin? You know, <laughs> they've both been around forever. They've both uh been involved for a long time. As you mentioned, Justice used to be a Democrat. So you look at this, and you know, Manchin has always stuck out as either the most conservative, or if you just want to, for just you know, idiosyncratic and and, and uh, unorthodox Democrats you'll find in the Senate. So maybe Justice doesn't want to, you know, have a long knockdown, drag out, nasty general election fight with Joe Manchin. This is the polite way. This is like, look, I'm running for that seat. Now I can run against you, or I can run against some other Democrat. But either way, I intend to win. I'd really rather not get into a long, nasty fight with you. Why don't you find something else you want to do instead of being in the Senate anymore? And, you know, Joe Manchin has probably reached the apex of his influence. Democrats now have a two-seat majority. You know, it's an interesting question of how much do you want to stick with uh, with this? I, I think this will be one of Republicans' best pickup opportunities in 2024. The state of West Virginia has gone heavily for Republicans in recent years, particularly in the Trump years. Uh, I, we don't know who the Republican nominee is going to be, but you'd figure this is likely to stay a red state in 2024. And, you know, in that sense, Manchin would be trying to get a lot of people who are likely voting for the Republican nominee and probably voting for Republicans down ticket to con- see him as the exception and to select him over a pretty darn popular governor. That's a tall order. I, I don't know what Joe Manchin is going to do, but you figure he's got to be thinking pretty seriously about what he wants to do beyond 2024. 
Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. There is already a U.S. congressman in the race for the Republican primary. That's Alex Mooney. There's another one who uh, could be running. And so I would imagine Jim Justice would be the the strong favorite. If he is elected, uh, I think, as, as Jim pointed out, don't expect him to be Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley. He's not going to be one of these guys that uh, puts up a big fight to omnibus bills, probably, which would not be the greatest thing. But uh, in terms of uh, education, he just signed a universal school choice package late last year. I think he'd be much better on energy uh, and a lot of other issues, in addition to the fact that he'd be one vote closer to getting the Republicans back the majority. So, uh, Jim, as I'm looking through the potential candidates here in this race, I wasn't aware that Shelley Moore Capito, the other senator from West Virginia has a son named Moore Capito. He's actually running for governor. Uh, but there's Shelley Moore Capito and Moore Capito. And they're potentially at some certain points going to both be on the ballot in West Virginia. So try not to get confused over there. I, I was going to say, I feel like you should be playing the Game of Thrones music right now. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. All of these families fighting amongst each other for the kingdom of West Virginia. Oh, and she's got a nephew running for the house. Wow, this is this is incredible. Uh, meanwhile, I don't see Don Blankenship uh, anywhere on here. It's uh, you know the last time Mansion was up that he was uh, talking about cocaine, Mitch. Hard to believe that was six years ago almost. But uh, yeah, time flies when you're having fun on the Senate side. All right, on to our bad martini now, Jim. This is a follow-up to our bad martini from last week where you did an excellent job in the morning jolt explaining the water problem out west, the reservoirs, uh, very, very low, and uh, environmental regulations not helping the Biden administration perhaps getting directly involved through the Department of the Interior very soon if the states can't come to some sort of agreement on water restrictions and so forth. But if you want to bang your head against the table about how the left uh, screws up the opportunity to help solve some of these problems, well, we've got a perfect example of that. According to the Los Angeles Times, environmental rules designed to protect imperiled fish in the Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta have ignited anger among a group of bipartisan lawmakers who say too much of California's stormwater is being washed out to sea instead of being pumped to reservoirs and aqueducts. According to uh, one study here, since the beginning of January, a series of atmospheric rivers has disgorged trillions of gallons of much-needed moisture, in other words, heavy rains, across drought-stickered California, but only a small fraction of that water has so far made it into storage. In the Delta, the heart of the state's vast water system, nearly 95% of incoming water has flowed into the Pacific Ocean. And so you've got people from both parties uh, saying this absolutely cannot stand. You've got uh, Congressman David Valadeo saying government regulations should not and must not deny our constituents uh, critical water from these storms. You've also got Jim Costa, who is a Democratic congressman from California, saying we must take most of the heavy precipitation we're receiving and use it to our advantage. So why are we not? Well, the Delta smelt, of course, Jim. Uh, that is an endangered species in the Delta that some people say is the canary in the coal mine in terms of ecosystem health. And so that's why all this water has to keep getting pumped out, because if there's too much, they're further imperiled. Uh, I think the people matter more than the Delta smelt, Jim. And uh, anytime you've got bipartisan condemnation here, I think you might have uh, lurched onto some common sense. Yeah, this is, I, I you know, was looking at this... Uh... My article from last week, and I said, this is going to be one of the sleeper issues of 2023. The region was able to barely get through it in 2022. Just this morning, the Associated Press has a report. They did a FOIA request on all the documents between states fighting with each other during last summer. 
And one of the things that becomes clear is that as states try to, you know, say, oh, well, we'll we'll save this much water or we'll figure out a way to reduce that much. The states that are in the lower basin, basically they said, oh, we're going to cut 2 million acre feet. Now, for those who don't remember, it's about one foot of water over an acre of land is your idea of an acre foot. And uh, they had a meeting in Salt Lake City and says, this is what we can do. You know, you guys take care of that. Well, it turns out they did. They they set that goal. They didn't meet that goal. In fact, they barely reached half that amount, barely a million. Um, so getting people to reduce their water use is a lot tougher than it looks. Since writing this last week, I've had, uh, you know, readers who are in the region write in and say, well, actually, I, you know, there's, the snowpack seems pretty big this year. Um, there's there's actually been a decent amount of snow. Maybe it won't be that bad. And look, look, this is the time of year. You're going to get more precipitation. You're going to get more rain. You're going to get more snow. It's going to build up, and that's going to turn into this, you know, melt in spring, and that'll add to the river. But the projections are still not looking great, and that as of you know the those Lake Mead and Lake Powell are still pretty darn low. Um, I think we're reaching the point where you know, regardless of what you think about climate change, the West has been in a drought for the better, pretty much 20 years. We're we're running out of the easy solutions. The easy options are all done by now. So at some point, you're going to have to do something. Now, some people have talked about California creating desalinization plants on the West Coast. It's not cheap, but you know there's a whole big supply of water there, and if you can desalinize it, you have you know you have a nearly limitless supply. For various reasons, California's environmentalists don't like that. Well, you don't have that. You don't have. Uh, you want to take care of the smelt. You also need people. You also need agriculture to grow to, needs the water for to raise food. Oh, by the way, there's a world hunger crisis going on because Russia won't allow grain to be exported from Ukraine. You know, why would we want to reduce agricultural production when we have this kind of a crisis? Something's got to give. My, I look at that and I'm like, okay, sorry, Delta Smelt, you draw the short straw. You're going to have to, you know, have a tougher environment because we can't expect all of these people to suddenly say, you can't water your crops anymore. The consequences of that are just too dire. I don't know how this is going to shake out. This, you know, the, the only, every solution is going to end up with somebody being upset. And one of the things that make this intriguing is that this is going to involve a lot of Democrat on Democrat fights. It's going to involve Democrats in California against the Biden administration. You're probably going to see California Democrats fighting with Colorado Democrats. You're, you're going to see a, you know, a considerable amount of frustration and finger pointing. Uh, and it's not going to fall down during easy partisan, oh, it's all the Republicans' fault talk. So I think we're really headed towards, I don't know how big the crisis is going to be. It all depends on the rainfall and temperatures and evaporation rates and all that kind of stuff. But it's looking pretty bad here. And uh, the idea of, oh, we got to save the Delta smelt kind of indicates that a whole bunch of people in California aren't really looking at the big picture and aren't really willing to prioritize. Certainly not willing to prioritize human beings over, you know, Delta smelt. I guess Delta smelt is to the uh, 2020s what uh, the spotted owl was Ooh, to yes. loggers in the 90s, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I made a reference to spotted owls. My kids didn't understand that. I guess nobody's heard about that since the 80s or 90s. But yeah, that was the, the icon of the environmental movement in the Pacific Northwest. Exactly. That's why we can't cut down any trees. But that's totally not why forest fires are raging out of control. Anyway, a whole other discussion. The Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski. Every day, Chris helps unpack the connection between politics and the economy and how it affects your wallet and your 401k. With the stock market so volatile these days, is it smart to make a prediction? In 2022, all of the market predictions were way off. If you want to invest your hard-earned money, don't make a prediction on your own. It will lead to some painful consequences. What should you do? Whether it's happening in D.C. or down on Wall Street, it's affecting you financially. Be informed. Check out the Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And this is also the subject of your morning jolt today. And uh, when we decided to uh, use this as the crazy martini, it got me hunting for a soundbite that I remember well. And we're going to play it here in just a second. Can't believe it's barely more than a year since Joe Biden traipsed down to Georgia and accused anybody of uh, supporting the uh, Republican election legislation, basically comparing them to the segregationists and the Confederates. Let's not forget about this little moment right here. Do you want to be the on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be in the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be in the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide. And so, of course, you had Coke and Delta and other companies based in Atlanta condemning Republicans for uh, their Jim Crow, Jim Eagle type uh, uh, voting restrictions, which only led to some of the best voter turnouts we've ever seen in Georgia. Atlanta lost the All-Star game. It was an entire left-wing charade in the media and in the sports world. And uh, now all of a sudden, Jim, a year later, and Atlanta is pushing to be the uh, host of the Democratic National Convention next year. And uh, the reason apparently is is because they uh, want to solidify Democratic progress in Georgia. Uh, as you point out, apparently Georgia is now good again because NBC News reports that a lot of elected Democrats from Virginia to Louisiana are urging the party to hold the 2024 National Convention there. Quoting NBC, Southern Democrats are banding together to urge Biden to select Atlanta for the convention, according to a letter obtained by NBC News, arguing the choice would solidify the party's gains in Georgia and demonstrate commitment to the entire region. Uh, they also see it as a hub of uh, the African-American community uh, in the South and beyond. And so that would be uh, a gesture of uh, solidarity in that direction. So, uh, Jim, I don't know if they'll end up going in this direction. They might. Georgia's likely to be a uh, key swing state here. But uh, from pariah to the top of the heap is uh, quite a shift in a year. Yeah. So basically, almost every Democrat from a southern state wants the convention in Atlanta. The other finalists are New York and Chicago. Um, I remember back in, I think it was, was it 96 or 2000 Democrats had their convention in Chicago? It was, it was 96. And there was a lot of speculation. Oh, this is going to bring back memories of 1968. And that convention ran smoothly with no real you know issues of protests so that you know anyone remembers. So, you know, it doesn't have that stigma anymore. And Democrats have been to New York since then. Um, but it's just very strange that you could go from, you know, Jim Crow 2.0 and, and the idea that, you know, oh, this is the uh, a, a, a disgrace of a uh, state and all that stuff. First of all, it is worth pointing out that turnout hit a record for primaries in the midterm elections and then in the general election in the midterm elections. And turnout was pretty darn high in the runoff between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock as well. So if this was a voter suppression or restriction law, it did a terrible job. But you know, it's not just that. It's the fact that uh, they did, the University of Georgia did a survey and found that 0% of Black respondents said that their voting experience in 2022 was poor. Um, 73% of Blacks said it was excellent. 73% of white voters said it was excellent. In fact, ironically, 94.3% of Black voters in Georgia said they were confident their vote was counted. 79% they were confident the state counted all votes as intended. Now, for comparison, amongst white voters, it was lower. It was 88% and 74%. So, uh, you know, Blacks had more faith in the voting system than whites did. So the idea that this was some sort of racist, it was always nonsense. But what's really bizarre is how quickly, oh, by the way, you could find folks on Stacey Abrams' campaign 
saying that, ah, you know, she lost because of sexism, racism. Again, I don't believe it can be racism when Raphael Warnock, really, he won four elections in two years. If you count the general, the first round, and then you count the runoff as separate elections. So no, it's not that the voters are racist. You know, it's not, that, that's not the problem. The problem was Stacey Abrams was a lousy candidate. But then the other thing, which is weird about this, is you've seen, not only is Georgia, um, you know, now being contemplated as the possible side of the Democratic convention. Remember, Joe Biden wants to rearrange the, the primary schedule for next year. And he wants Georgia going very early, fourth. Now, this has a lot to do with the fact that Biden won Georgia, and he talked very explicitly about the importance of prioritizing people of color. So from a second, like just again, last year it was Jim Crow 2.0, and now we have to let Georgia go very early in the Democratic Party uh, presidential primary because of the importance of how many people of color can vote. The about face on this is fascinating. So I just got to put this like today, wait a minute, how is it that Atlanta, and in particular the state of Georgia, can be too racist to host the 2021 Major League Baseball All-Star Game? But it's not too racist to hold the 2024 Democratic National Convention. There is no way to square that circle. And the answer is, is that basically Democrats, you know, Georgia is as racist as Democrats need it to be to win the argument in any given moment. And I think that's one of the reasons people are very cynical about racial issues. It causes people to dismiss actual genuine cases of racism. And it's, I think probably doesn't work nearly as well for Democrats as they hope. But they never learn anything. And they just continue doing the same old things. It's amazing uh, how your opinion changes when, what is it, 16 electoral votes are uh, on the line <laughs> as opposed to the Major League All-Star game, which the left doesn't care where it's played. Uh, yeah, priorities change a little bit. But uh, yeah, uh, hypocrisy knows no bounds. But of course, as, as Senator Warnock would say, it's not that the new law wasn't racist, Jim. It's just that the left was able to overcome it, which nobody believes based on the numbers you just cited. So <laughs> fascinating stuff. Oh, by the way, uh, I got distracted totally by Shelley Moore Capito's family tree. I meant to add in the Jim Justice Martin. Martini, uh, that uh, Mitch Daniels, uh, former governor of Indiana, has decided not to seek the U.S. Senate. He uh, issued a statement saying that uh, if he had run, it would only have been one term, uh, and that uh, given this, the way seniority works in the Senate, he would not have been in a position to get as much done as he would have liked. Uh, he talked about uh, whoever is there needs to focus on dealing with the debt, entitlements, China, you know, concrete issues that we way too often get distracted from, Jim. Uh, so hopefully people listen to him, even though Mitch Daniels won't be on the ballot. Yeah, I really like Mitch Daniels. I think he had a terrific record. I really didn't like him when the Club for Growth tried to paint him as some sort of big spending uh, establishment, you know, uh, Republican, when in fact his record is probably one of the best uh, budget cutters and fiscal conservatives at the, at, of all time. And they, you know, sneered at him for being in big academia. His record at Purdue is basically everything conservatives wanted to see. But he was in his 70s. And if you want to say that's too old and it's time for uh, something you know, somebody younger, you know, you like somebody like Jim Banks. I, I can see that. That's reasonable. So this avoids a big, nasty fight for uh, Republicans. I, I, you know, again, I don't, I didn't like the mischaracterization of Daniel's record, but you could say that there was time for some new, new blood, new fresh faces. And now Banks has a much easier road ahead, it seems. Yeah, I, I would I would suspect that's the case. Uh, we'll see if anybody else gets in. But as of right now, he's clearly the leading Republican to, to hold that seat for the GOP, which will be important. So, Jim, happy Tuesday. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell some friends about us as well. Thanks for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us both on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at 
Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday and join us again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.